with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Hello, everybody. This is the Blind Sight program, and we welcome you and the Blindsight is produced by the Audio Information Network of Colorado, and I'm your host, Bill Lundgren, and I'm pleased today to be talking about teens with uh, Shelby Robbins, who is the founder of Antelope Counseling, and she's uh, with us today to talk a little bit about the mental health of teens as uh, she has experienced it in her organization. Shelby, welcome. We're glad to have you on board. So, I'm, you know, I'm always curious to know uh, how people get into a particular specialty. And so I have to ask you, you know, how did you decide to focus with teens? Because they're a difficult group to work with. <laughs> Great. That's a great question. Um, yeah. So um, I guess I'll I'll start just by sharing a little bit of my story. Um, so I was um, involved in a relationship in high school with um, a young man who developed a heroin addiction, and we were together mm-hmm. for about five years. And um, throughout that time together, he slowly started kind of devolving into his addiction. And um, he overdosed when I was in my early 20s and passed Mm. away. Um, At that time, as a way to kind of process my grief, I started working at an inpatient program for teens. Um, It happened kind of out of the blue Um, at his funeral. um, There was a program director of an inpatient program. And he came up to me and was like, hey, why don't you, (laughs) have you considered, you know, working here? And it was somewhat, you know, serendipitous. I, um, you know, ended up working the night shift where I wasn't actually involved with the teens too much. It was just me putting myself together. And slowly I realized I had somewhat of a knack for working with teens. I found them really fun. I really enjoyed the sassy banter. And um, as someone who struggled as a teenager myself, um, I felt like I, I could connect with the kiddos in a, um, in a cool way. So now I'm not actually a counselor. Um, I'm not a professional therapist at all, but Um, What I am doing is building an intensive outpatient program. So um, bringing together counselors who are really specialized in working with teens who are struggling and um, creating intensive outpatient programming for kiddos who who need some extra support. Um, So, yeah, it was I think like most people who are in the mental health field, it was <laughs> not necessarily by choice. It, <laughs> mental, the mental health field kind of grabbed me, um, and I love it. I've been been involved ever since, and it's it's been really really meaningful for me. Well, you certainly got some on the job training in growing up and being in a relationship with someone who was an active user. Uh, you can't. And quite frankly, that's uh, a lot more experience than you can get from a textbook. So you've you've got come in with uh, some personal credentials. Well, describe your organization a little bit for us. So, and also how um, how people get into the program because I'm sure that. Uh, well, I'd be curious to know whether teens themselves actually sign up or it's the parents dragging them in or, you know, how does that go? 
Yeah, so our program, Antelope Recovery, it is brand new. We are just getting off the ground. And uh, yeah, I'll start just by sharing a little bit about the program itself. So the program is completely online. Um, it is a virtual intensive outpatient program. Um, and mm. for those of you listening who don't know, intensive outpatient therapy is when someone needs more than one hour of therapy a week, but doesn't necessarily need to be living at a rehab or an inpatient program where they're getting around the clock care. So usually for kids, that means after school, about 10 hours a week, they're going to be enrolled in a program. Um, intensive outpatient therapy is usually a combination of one-on-one um, -on -one sessions, family therapy sessions, and then group therapy. Um, our program, one of the benefits of it being online is that we can reach people who otherwise wouldn't be able to have access to this kind of therapy. Um, so I'm located in Colorado. Um, in Colorado specifically, we have these really large mental health deserts where kiddos, um, in order to get to outpatient therapy, they'd have to drive over 45 minutes one way in order to get there, which for a lot of people just isn't realistic. Um, so by having online options, we're able to help kids who um, are struggling with suicidal ideation or depression or addiction um, or working through some kind of big trauma and, again, are needing, needing more help. Um, our program is um, somewhat unique in that we're, we're building in a lot of options for therapy that aren't just sitting in front of a screen talking to a therapist. Um, we <laughs> aren't a big fan of, you know, putting the 12-year-old in front of the screen for 10 hours a week and calling that, that good. Um, so we're building in a lot of outdoor therapy options. Um, some of our group therapy involves the kid um, on a phone, on a phone call um, with the therapist while walking, going on a walk outside or, um, you know, doing a lot of where we have a lot of different animal therapy options. So a lot of rural teenagers um, connect with their dogs um, more than other people sometimes. So how can we um, mm -hmm. have them engaging with their animals as a part of intensive outpatient therapy, again, instead of being just on a screen all the time. So um, that's what we're, we're building right now. We open in January. Um, so we're really excited to open our doors. And usually teens enrolled in intensive outpatient therapy um, are referred by um, other practitioners. So um, usually it's not the kids necessarily initiating that they want this, although that can sometimes happen. But um, often it's teenagers who um, were are getting out of a detox program in a hospital or were admitted into a hospital for um, a suicide attempt or some sort of psychotic episode. Um, so usually intensive outpatient therapy is something referred by other practitioners. Sometimes a school counselor um, might refer to, to a family um, like, hey, looks like your kid is um, drinking a lot at school and <laughs> they might need some extra help. So mm -hmm. let's let's get them enrolled in a program. Um, so that's typically how how people are finding us right now. And I'm excited to see what happens. I think. Um, my experience working with Gen Z and the younger population is that they're actually really open to therapy, um, much more so than, than other generations have been in the past. And um, I've been hearing from other intensive outpatient programs that there is a lot more um, self-initiated um, interest in, in getting support. So specifically with animal therapy, um, we're working with um, a professor at Denver University who's a part of the Animal Human Connection Institute who's helping us design specific therapeutic interventions that involve um, connection with an animal. So an example of what that might look like is um, a lot of things that one of the things that teens can really struggle with sometimes is boundaries, boundary setting. 
and specifically know right. what other people's boundaries are. So one way we can practice that would be with um, someone's dog. Like, have you noticed what what is what are your dog's boundaries? What do they like? Um, what do what does your dog not like? So if um, you uh. start trying to chase your dog around, do they like that? Some dogs like that. Some dogs don't like that. So we can utilize um, the connection a teen might have with an animal, which is usually a very safe um, type of connection for a teenager, um, and engage with that um, relationship in a way to, to support the teenager. So, um, and support them in developing skills that we would be trying to develop anyway, but um, doing so in a way that, okay. that might be built more into their into their life. Um, right. I think one of our big goals so, is um, for the team to leave our program and be feel like they have a lot of support in the environment around them. So we don't want them to be dependent so, on us. <laughs> yeah. So you're utilizing what's available and uh, uh, working with the uh, team in understanding uh, through working with something that's less volatile than the family, uh, like a, a family pet, it's some of the basic principles you're trying to teach the kids. Exactly, yeah. I see, okay. So what about the parents? Uh, I got the impression that you're involving the parents in doing family counseling? Definitely. If necessary. Yeah, so Parents are a critical part of any teenager's recovery. Um, usually we, we try to engage the family as much as they're interested in being engaged. <laughs> um, you know, we, family therapy is a mandatory part of the program. Um, so once a week, um, whether it's a parent, a sibling, a guardian, um, we'll try to include the entire um, family and the teenagers treatment. Um, I'm sure you're a counselor yourself. I imagine you um, have experience <laughs> seeing how um, mm -hmm. some types of mental illness can, just affects everybody. It affects the entire entire group. Right. Um, we also have a family education program um, where we've brought in a bunch of guest speakers to talk about different um, topics that can be relevant for for parents so um you know what what do you do if you find drugs in your house <laughs> what do you do if your teen is self-harming how do you how can you respond to that and really giving parents a um robust set of resources so that when and if something um, chaotic starts happening in the home or if the teen relapses which is normal and part of treatment um, they have some support and knowing what do we do about this? How how do I go about this? How do I talk to my teen about this experience they might be having? So you may talk to the family member uh, without the uh, the teen being present and kind of advising how they can handle or uh, mm -hmm. have the teen and the parent uh, working together or you know, whatever option you think works best. Yeah, so all of the above. I think, you know, when we can have, do a, like a family therapy session and talk to them together, that's great. Um, with some families, that's not realistic and it, the relationship is too volatile um, to do that off the bat. Mm -hmm. So it's something we can work towards. Kind of the benefit of having an online program is we can really personalize it to each family. Um, we can connect right. family mm -hmm. with experts from all over the country who specialize in that specific problem <laughs> um, rather than mm -hmm. a therapist who maybe has never encountered that before. So we have a lot of options as to how we can really personalize the program, um, which is exciting. So in other words, your network of therapists are not going to be just in Colorado. They can be wherever you can find them and hook them up with the, with a particular uh, uh, team. Yeah, that's, that's the goal. Yeah, because you have to, you can run into problems with a counselor not being licensed in the uh, particular state. 
someone you have in Colorado not being licensed if you have a child in, in California, but you can draw somebody in California to work with, with that person through your uh, mechanism. Exactly. And, you know, the mental health field is really transforming right now. It's shifting. I'm excited to see how it keeps evolving. I know many states are entering into different packs. So if they're licensed in one state, that license will be valid through Correct. 10 states. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're, we're tracking that pretty closely and um, definitely advocating for more cohesion throughout the country in our healthcare system. I right. think we have a, a very fragmented uh, mental health care system right now. And families and communities are really feeling the burden of that. I think there's a lot of involuntary experts <laughs> in mental health right now because right. it's so confusing for people to to navigate it. Boy, that's quite a massive undertaking in terms of your goal. I think that's that's great. I think COVID has really taught us a lot about our need for more flexibility, particularly in the counseling field, to be able to reach out and to uh, find counselors where they are and reach like the rural areas and so forth. So that makes a whole lot of sense. How many sessions, you know, is it uh, a fixed number of sessions as you're envisioning it now, or are you saying like three, day, three days a, a week a minimum or uh, five days if you think it's necessary? Have you kind yeah. of explored what's going to be the most workable? That's, a, again, another great question. So uh, one of the benefits, again, of being online is we can really customize it for each, each kid depending on their diagnosis. So um, addiction mm -hmm. is a great example. A lot of teenagers who are struggling with addiction really benefit from having a group every day while they're in early recovery. Mm -hmm. um, group therapy is one right. of the best interventions for addiction. So for a teen struggling with addiction, um, their schedule is gonna look really different from a teenager suffering from anxiety. Um, someone who's struggling with extreme anxiety doesn't necessarily need daily um, group activities. In fact, groups can be extremely triggering and challenging for a teenager with right. anxiety. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with them, what we might have a three-day-a-week schedule that's a little more intensive um, rather than a daily kind of check-in. Um, so, you know, right now, um, our clinical director, Anne Wen, she's um, incredible. I feel really lucky to get to work with her. She's, her and I have been working really closely on building out these, um, some different templates of options for, for each of um, the different types of things kids might be struggling with and um, figuring out our, our scheduling. So <laughs> how we can um, have these different groups happening um, at the same time even um, and have different kids on different tracks. Um, another maybe unfortunate part of where our mental health care system's at right now is um, insurance often dictates care more than providers actually dictate care. So some insurance companies will only cover care for a certain number of days a week or um, for a certain length of time, right. depending mm -hmm. on the diagnosis. So us having that flexibility to be able to not only work um, with what a specific teen is needing, but also with um, what their insurance is most likely to cover. Um, we're hoping that that can provide a more flexible and customized um, care that works <laughs> better than, than maybe a more cookie cutter program that teens are kind of shuffled into right. regardless of, of what they actually need. But because it's virtual, you do have more flexibility rather than, as you say, driving 40 miles to get to a clinic. Uh, uh, yeah, usually those clinics are understaffed. The therapists are burned out, and they only have so many resources um, to help the people right. who are, are there. And we're finding that having a lot of in-person programs, even if in-person is maybe preferred, um, they it's just not realistic for them to keep up with the demand right now because um, there's such a high demand mm -hmm. for these services that having an online program like this, it seems like 
um, just having watched the landscape of the mental health field that we'll be able to address some of these issues a little more head on. One of the things that uh, has always interested me is the, you know, the family dynamics, because so often uh, the, the teenager is reflecting a dysfunctional family. And, you know, in other words, there may be an alcoholic in the house that uh, what the, the kids are uh, getting into trouble, getting attention away from the parents who have problems. And I'm wondering uh, how you think you might, your program might deal with that if you get wind of the fact that really the problem is more the parents. You have the mechanism to refer the parents within your system as you as you outline it. I know um, for us, we, and I think this is one of the limitations of our program right now, at least in the early stages, is that we are really focused on teens and teen mental health. Um, we will be able mm, to refer okay. parents and, you know, our clinical team right now, it's, they're great <laughs> and have they have connections to lots of different types of resources so if if a parent is needing support with their own mental health issue we'll be able to refer them out but we likely can't actually do too much to address them um, directly outside of family therapy and then family education um, so you know family therapy we can do a lot in family therapy. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've definitely had clients where their family repeatedly isn't showing up to family therapy sessions. And how do you tell a teen, like, wow, your parents not prioritizing this? Um, what does that mean for right. you? Like, how are we going to process that together? And, right. Mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a clinician, it can be challenging. It's, it, we can't tell the teen like, necessarily, like, doesn't, you know, it seems like your parent um, isn't treating you very well. Like, what are we going to do about that? Um, yeah, how I, can we I say, tell the teen, you've got to get your parent to go into therapy. Yeah. You're okay. <laughs> it's, it's your parents that have a problem. I exactly. don't think that'll go over very well. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we can't yeah. necessarily. But yet, that's often the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Often there, it is. There's some family therapists who won't even see the, the child that's in trouble. Yeah. What what I'm wondering is, see, if the parent is the problem, if you have a sense of the parent being the problem, uh, how are you, you know, your, your, uh, your therapist is going to have to find a mechanism, uh, I believe, to get the parents involved in at least talking with the therapist and saying, you know, there seems to be some evidence that something's going on here. Is that going to be a, a mechanism for your counselors to to uh, utilize mm -hmm. or ask the the uh, the teen to ask the parents if they would you know come on and uh, talk with the, with the, the therapist kind of like uh, well we need your parents to help you so would you have the parent contact us so that we can talk to them and see what uh, what help they can give, which may mean telling the parents there's a problem mm -hmm. in, with them, which parents don't want to hear. But, yeah. you know, I think that has to happen. Yeah, I think you're touching on a really um, complex dynamic that can show up in treatment. Yeah. And there's a very mm -hmm. big range that, um, I, you know, we see in, in the field. I think on one hand, you know, there's parents who are too involved. They're over-involved, <laughs> who we right. can't mm -hmm. get to take a step back. <laughs> and for them, it's, you know, that's great when when we have that problem because I get to, you know, put them in our education course and send them articles and videos and get them into their own therapy and really support them with setting boundaries and letting go. Um, on the other hand, we'll have parents with, sometimes a completely opposite kind of issue where it's more like neglect or, hey, take my kid from me. Right. 
fix them <laughs> and then bring them back and have it all be okay. And, you know, with that kind of dynamic, um, you know, there's sometimes we, we work with teenagers who are fine, who don't have a problem. <laughs> it's, it's the parents. Right. Are, um, and somewhat of a neglectful dynamic. And often for us, you know, we handle each of those cases um, individually. Um, there's definitely been really extreme cases where, you know, we have to call CPS and it's um, probably, you know, the kid is, it's not gonna work having them live with, with their parents. Um, usually that's not the case, um, which is, is good and you know, we can have some tough conversations with the kid and be like, you know, we um, we want to get really real with you. You don't have a diagnosis. Um, you're okay. And what we really want to focus on is your relationship with your parents, um, whether your parents right. shows up or not. And, um, you know, we have a very client-centered approach um, where I'm really interested in empowering teens to um, build their own future kind of regardless of um, maybe not regardless, but, you know, empower them to create a life that's going to work with them for them, um, whether their parent is involved in that life <laughs> or not or to what degree or not. Um, it's we get to really support them in setting their own boundaries and stepping into Good. an adult identity um, with or without their parents. And there's definitely teens where you know, they aren't a fit for the program and we get to have that conversation with their parents of, you know, we don't, we don't actually think your teen needs to be here. Maybe they need to sign up for a sport. They don't need intensive outpatient therapy. And it seems like the issue here mm -hmm. is really, mm -hmm. um, the way you're relating to your child and we can refer them to different resources. But yeah, I think you're touching on a, again, a really complicated dynamic of the parent teen relationship. Um, more often than not, I see parents who've been blamed for their kid's mental illness and the parent is feeling guilty and ashamed and what did right. I do wrong and I screwed my kid up and now I don't know what to do. And um, I love getting to work <laughs> with parents like that and to tell them, you know, your child just experienced a pandemic and, you know, all these other pressures that are really normal and it's okay. And here's some basic communication tools on how you can help your teen when they're um, struggling. And here's how to set boundaries with them. Um, here's how to not let your child's anxiety run the household. <laughs> um, you know, because no one no one teaches parents how to how to have those conversations with their teenagers, especially <laughs> when their teen is really mean <laughs> and sassy. Because that's you know that happens. <laughs> and that's, that's usually what we find is the parents have are really well meaning and, and really wanting to do their best and just don't know how. So um, we've been lucky right. to see that. And, and one of the problems is, is that the, like you say, the, you use the word boundaries. Well, yeah. where do the parents le learn about boundaries? Supposedly, they learned it from their parents, but if they didn't, you know, it's a multi, what you have when you're working with a teen, and this is uh, is a multi, often a multi-generational thing, and you can't, uh, and so that, that therapist has to step in and help the teen sort him or herself or themselves out mm -hmm. so that uh, uh, the impact of the previous generation stops and the teen begin to find a different way of operating which is very different from possibly from what the parents learned and the parents have to learn that it's a, you're right it's very very complicated mm -hmm. and i'm glad that you've got the a range of people working with you uh and the the counselor because it is such a uh, complex issue that we're talking about and as you say uh, having a parent blame him or herself uh, saying I caused it well no not necessarily yeah it's um, I think a really great opportunity for compassion 
and learning and just getting really curious together of what's the best way we can work together um, to help um, both the parents and the teens step into a healthier space. Yeah. So you're kind of looking at a class, for example, for the parents. Yeah, yeah. So we we have a few different parent education tracks, kind of depending on the parent and <laughs> what they need support with. Um, I think the addiction mm -hmm. track is probably the most extensive of, you know, what to do if you find drugs in your house. Do you call the police? Do you, how do you handle that? Um, how to... Um, you know, what are the basics of relapse prevention? Um, having medication lock boxes. How do you make sure your medications are locked up in the house? Um, that kind of thing. And then more subtle dynamics of what does enabling look like? What does that mean? What is codependency? How does that show up for you? How might that have shown up with your own parents? So there's definitely an education portion to it. And then, um, Right now we have it set up with a weekly kind of process call for all the parents with teens in the program where they have a chance to share about struggles they're having. And um, we found that to be really, really helpful for parents who, um, just to hear that what they're going through with their teen is normal <laughs> and to hear other parents struggling with similar things. and. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that can be, that can really help. What do you think bring, will bring kids into your program? You know, how will you identify the, uh, you know, what is the underlying issue that brings, you know, is it the parent's anxiety? Is it the kid, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the kid self-refers, possibly there's some, and uh, get a history uh, or some way of identifying is there actually trauma in the family that nobody's talking about? Mm -hmm. That's a really tricky uh, kind of thing because there are a lot of family secrets that are involved, and that's what you what your therapist is going to have a uh, uh, you know will have experience in trying to deal with family secrets. Is that going to be more difficult doing it virtually? Hmm. Great, great question. So teen mental illness is interesting because it's invisible. You can't see it. It's not like a broken arm. So knowing how to know if your right. teen needs intensive outpatient therapy um, can be challenging. Um, I think one of the things for parents to educate themselves on, um, and I'm not a therapist, so you know, definitely talk to your if you're ever concerned about your teen, go to an expert, talk to your pediatrician, talk to a counselor um, and ask them questions and, and they can help you um, know how to guide that and what next steps you might wanna take. Um, it can be really hard to know if your teen needs help, especially because teens um, are angsty. It's normal for them to have big outbursts. Um, their brain is developing, their amygdala is, really large and they don't have a prefrontal cortex yet. So it's normal for them to have really wild identity swings and emotional swings. And we don't necessarily need to pathologize that. That's not a problem. And how do you know <laughs> if what you're dealing with with your teenager is normal teen angst or if there's an actual problem? Um, right. I. You know, I think I have I have a few suggestions on that. The first is is your is what's happening with your teen um, ongoing? Is it happening for more than a day at a time? So normal teen okay. emotional mm -hmm. swings tend to change dramatically over the course of a day or two. Um, your teen might wake up really depressed and not want to get out of bed. But usually by the next day, they'll have some other thing going on and their attention will have changed. However, if it's lasting 
more than a few days, if it's a little more ongoing than that, you, you're going to want to talk to someone. And that's true for any kind of um, issue you're noticing um, with your teenager. So that's, that's one of the big things I like to tell people. Um, usually teens don't know how to articulate what is going on for them. Again, they don't have that prefrontal cortex developed. So they're having really big emotional experiences and they don't necessarily know how to talk about it. Um, so asking open-ended questions to your teen, like how are you, can sometimes not help at all because <laughs> they're not going to know how to respond. So right. I, mm -hmm. I usually recommend parents block out an hour or two um, especially for boys, um, two to three hours a week of just unstructured time where you're together, whether that's going on a walk or a drive, volunteering, but having enough time where your teen can start opening up and um, unraveling themselves. Um, they're going to resist it. They're not going to want to do it. Right. Usually for the first 30 minutes, they're going to hate you and you know, wish you were dead and that's normal. Feel free to bribe them. <laughs> um, I like giving teens hot chocolate on road trips <laughs> and that can change everything or boba right. tea is a big deal right now. <laughs> but make sure it's regular. Um, make sure it's a routine. Once a week, you're doing something alone with your teenagers so that they know that if something happens that's scary that they're gonna have a space where they can talk to you about it um again if a teen is struggling they're less likely to tell you and they're more likely to show you with their behavior so it's more likely that if something's wrong their behavior is what's gonna tell you something's wrong like they're not going to school um, their grades are gonna start um, falling they're, um, you know, it's, it's through their actions that they're going to be telling you something's not okay. Um, but verbally they're likely going to be saying something completely different. And again, that's normal. So, um, if your teen's behavior is telling you something, believe the behavior, <laughs> not their words. <laughs> and, um, you know, again, I always recommend talk to an expert, talk to a therapist, and they're gonna they're gonna help you know what to do. Um, unfortunately, most of the teens who do go into intensive outpatient therapy get into intensive outpatient therapy because their mental illness went too far. So again, we get calls from people who've already experienced a mental health emergency. Um, their teen already had a suicide attempt or their addiction evolved to a point where they are coming to us from a detox center. Um, so we're usually getting teens where they didn't get enough intervention fast enough. And now we have to do the hard work of repairing their psyche after a mental health emergency, which takes months of time. So early intervention is better. If you're not sure, get help sooner. It's much easier to help a teenager before they've had a big mental health emergency than after. That repairing after the fact can take a lot of time and money. We know how to do it. That's the good news. Um, in mental health and teen mental health. There's a lot we can do. It's just really expensive. <laughs> so again, the earlier, the better. And um, that's, yeah, hopefully that answered your question um, a little bit more on how to know um, if your teen needs IOP care and um, what are some things parents can do and should be on the lookout for. And I think what you just shared is extremely important because if we as you say, teens are going to be very reluctant to talk about it, but uh, is there a mechanism whereby a parent who's concerned about the actions of, of their child can contact either you or somebody and say, look, is, it, you know, is, is this something that I need to deal with just to relieve the parent's anxiety or encourage the parent to follow through and have the child come to uh, to someone to refer to you uh, for some help. But it's one of those things the parents don't know, the kids don't talk, uh, 
and uh, so people can fall through the cracks. And that's one of the things I'm sure you're wanting to avoid. Yes. And, and, the, and I'd like to, and too bad we don't have a printout of what you just said about the signs and, or maybe there is available from you something that parents can ask for and get mailed to them. What are the, what are the signs that uh, they should be looking for? Or not should be looking for, but what are the signs that, that some action or trauma has occurred that uh, need to be dealt with by professionals? Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, those are all great. So our website, antelope-recovery.com, we have a ginormous blog filled with all of this. Um, <laughs> I recommend Wonderful. if you're not sure, scour it, read things. We've got lots of resources on there. Um, you can also go on our site and call um, our company and talk to one of our admissions um, staff and they'll kind of walk you through, um, they'll lead you through an admissions assessment and let you know if your teen is a good fit um, and they can help you um, start to navigate our care system a little bit more. Um, I recommend uh, parents also talk to other parents. It's given the state of our teens right now, it's likely that other parents are going through this. I would talk to your right. friends, talk to grandparents, talk to people who've talked to your kids' teachers. Are the teachers noticing anything? Um, same with school counselors. School counselors are an amazing resource. They're going to be connected to all the mental health resources in your community, um, and they, they're likely going to have some really good suggestions on what you can do um, or not do. So all of those things I would I would start if you're a parent um, just building therapeutic allies now just hey my teen um, or my child is a teenager um, if something were to happen who would I call um, who would I talk to and just have have those numbers ready because you know God forbid something does happen it, um, <laughs> it can be really stressful. And if you don't have those relationships built, if you haven't had those conversations early, um, it can be really stressful to try to figure all of that out. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say in response to that is we, we're finding that teens want to talk about this. We're finding that most teens really want the conversations. It's the parents that have resistance or feel awkward or feel like, oh, no, if I have this right. talk or shame kid, or shame, that means I'm a bad parent. Exactly. And I want to just yeah. encourage parents that, you know, most teens will be really excited to talk to you about it. Um, they likely have friends who are struggling. Um, they've likely thought about a lot of this stuff already and um, having a plan for, you know, if something does happen or if your teen is having an emergency, can they call you? And if they don't feel comfortable calling you, that's okay. But do they have a mentor? Do they have another adult in their life um, that they can call who's safe? And, you know, write that person's number down, have them talk to that person and um, build that relationship. Again, it's normal for kids to be resistant to their parents. I've had some parents do some really sneaky meddling where they've had coaches of the kid's team. The parent has called the coach and been like, hey, can you talk to my kid after the game? Or can my kid come in early and can you um, talk to them about just how they're doing? And um, I've seen that go really well for a lot of families where you, know, you can set up um, allies for your kid in their life if, if you're struggling with communicating with them. Um, and sometimes that works really well, too. So really what I'm hearing that uh, there are resources within your program if if the parent is feeling hesitant, can at least go online and look at some of the print resources to yes. try to think through what they're doing and then perhaps feel a little more comfortable to call and talk to somebody uh, or the child can talk to somebody uh, 
so that we can get some of the uh, stigma out of the whole thing about mental health issues and about uh, all the things that you're having to deal with. This stigma is what keeps a lot of people from going for help. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. So our website has lots of resources. Um, you know, there's really great hotlines out there for teens right now where they can text a chat bot and the bot responds and we'll just text with them. There's there's lots of really cool innovation happening in the field right now for teens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely recommend read up on, you know, on teen mental health, um, whether that's our blog, um, you know, Google <laughs> is great. <laughs> if um, you, you Google teen mental illness, um, there's lots of really interesting articles that will come up. And maybe we can get people to, to focus on the word health in mental health as opposed to mental illness, which is what most people look at. Uh, so to reach or to get online, it's an- antelope counseling dot what I mean, what is the uh, email address yeah. or the website address? Yep. So our website is antelope dot com. Um, there's no www at the front. It's just antelope dot com. And our phone number is on there. We have a newsletter. Um, we have a multiple ways you can contact us on the website. Um, Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. please feel free to do that. Um, you can also email our team at info at antelopecovery.com. Um, that's a, a great way to get in touch with someone if if you don't feel comfortable hopping on the phone. Um, but yeah, we, we're here. We're available to support um, any family um, or even, you know, if you're a grandparent and you're worried about your grandkid, feel free to give us a call and we'll... We can walk you through some steps you can take to um, start having some of these conversations and um, we can give you referrals for what type of professional you might want to (laughs) see. I know there's so many different types of mental health professionals. It can be really confusing to know who do I need to talk to. And, um, you know, if we can't help you, what we can do is um, connect you with a care coordinator Um, and a care coordinator's only job is to help you navigate <laughs> the mental health system because it is so complicated. And um, again, we, you know, we deeply know at Antelope Recovery just how fragmented the system is and how families and communities have again had to become involuntary experts in the field in order to, to actually get appropriate care for for the people in your life who are struggling. So our hope is we can help alleviate that burden as much as possible. Trauma sometimes can be a, uh, a change in the teen status, like uh, a disability. And you know, for example, sometimes teens were now able to diagnose uh, retinitis pigmentosa, for example, much earlier than we could at one time. And your therapist uh, may, would you have some people who would be knowledgeable about uh, helping someone with that kind of trauma, or the family for that matter, because the family has to deal with uh, an impending uh, uh, disability or uh, maybe the child has gotten a disability and everybody has to adjust that, just to that, and that would be a part of what you would be able to offer families. Definitely, yes. It can be um, with any sort of traumatic event or um, news about, um, especially for teens, because they don't have their prefrontal cortex developed, it's really hard for them to wrap their minds around the future. like things like forever <laughs> come into mind where it's kind of like yeah. eternity and it's really hard for them often to say a year from now, where do I want to be? Or two years from now, what's my life going to look like? Or even three months from now. So getting news like that or having a life altering diagnosis happen um, or, you know, losing hearing even that there's all of those events um, we would consider traumatic events. Um, We definitely have can support families in processing that type of information. Um, 
you know, we would definitely want to do the admissions assessment and make sure we are the right fit. Um, sometimes there are clinics that specialize um, like within hospitals, wherever you received that diagnosis, sometimes they might have their own support structures in place there that could be more appropriate depending on the diagnosis. Like I know teens with cancer often um, get support directly in the hospital. They don't necessarily need to go to an external intensive outpatient program. Thank you.